Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and again, Amanda. She is beginning to think I'm trying to keep her away, but today we have one more kid who's at the doctor's office and he was supposed to be seen a while ago and maybe she could have snuck in, but when she got there, the doctor says they're an hour behind. So we're probably not going to talk to her at all today, unfortunately, but you only get me and well, and a guest. So you get something, something much better than just me. Today we've got science. Yeah, today, I'm going to mess that all up. How about that? I love it when I screw names up. It makes <laughs> me feel so awesome. Today we have Simone Canego with us. How are you doing today, Simone? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, man, it's a crazy day, a crazy week. But all in all, like crises are pretty low today. I'm going to call this a win. Yeah, I agree. I was like, okay, what, what else can happen in, in one week? Today's a little calm. I'm, I'm happy about that. Hey, never ask that question. <laughs> Sometimes God answers. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> yes, I, I've I've had that moment myself. So, Simone, you are in this whole foster care adoption journey, like in, in one of those places that a lot of people have questions about. Like you guys have done foster care, you guys have adopted kids. Um, you're a weird duck like us. So, you know, welcome to the club of Weird Ducks. Thank you. I like being a member of this club. It's very exciting. (laughs) Yeah, some days it is. Some days (laughs) that excitement's better than others. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk about the good and the bad exciting. What brought you into into the foster care world? So actually, our, our world started in the adoption world, and then the foster care piece, um, I was teaching Uh, I was teaching fourth grade and one of my students had been out for about a week. And so I checked in with the principal to say, you know, like, is everything okay? What's going on? And she said, well, actually, no, it's not okay Um, that her parents had been arrested and that she and she was 10 years old at the time um, and they didn't have a place for her. So she's being uh, kept at the teen shelter. And of course, like to me, that was like a really heartbreaking moment of thinking that this 10-year-old little girl who was super shy is at a teen shelter. And so I called my husband and I said, and we already had six kids at home. And I said, um, what do you think? And he said, absolutely. And we still had our home study in place from our last adoption. And so the principal of the school called first, and then uh, we called and had a conversation. And later that day, they brought her over to our house and that kind of began our nine month journey of her living with us. And it was a completely eye-opening journey, even more eye-opening than our adoption journeys, which says a lot. Okay. <clears throat> you said a couple things there that need to be, need to be addressed. Number mm-hmm. one, you already had six kids. Yep. Now I'm familiar with this. We have, <laughs> we have seven kids. Um, However, all seven of our kids haven't lived in under the roof at the same time just due to age, right? Um, we, we have kids out of the house and kids in the house and you know that, that whole time thing. But six kids in the house and you decided to, to take on an extra kid, a kid who's, who's in the middle of a trauma. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's what we decided to do. And you know what? It was, it was really an amazing experience. I mean, for you know, our other kids as well to kind of, you know, open our eyes to the world a little bit more. It's not, you know, it's not unicorn and rain, unicorns and rainbows, right? Like there's a lot of things that, that happen, And, you know, it was, yes, it was challenging. You know, I think the most challenging part is that uh, she, you know, she had struggled with so many things, you know, with first living with her mom and then living with her dad and, um, and then the dad had been married four times and the dad was actually the one that had all of the children. He had custody of all of the children. And so she had five siblings 
Um, and, you know, so she had, she was kind of, you know, one of the adults in the house raising the kids at 10 years old. And, you know, I know some of her stories, I don't know all of her stories, but, you know, she definitely, uh, she definitely was struggling and, you know, that was kind of our, at that moment, our job was to really, you know, build her up as much as we could support her as much as we could. And, you know, we felt like in this moment, she's in our, you know, she's in our family, she's part of our family. And our hope was that she saw what, you know, what we think, you know, a really strong family is so that she could take that away with her um, later and say, wait, I remember when, and hopefully it impacted her. I think it did. We'll see someday later in life. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, that's one of those interesting things about foster care is you oftentimes don't have a clue what impact you have today. Yeah. I mean, you you do your best, right? Like that's all you can do. Um, but you hope that, you know, the lessons that you taught during that time, the love that you gave is something that, you know, will, you know, go with that child, you know, throughout their life and they can think back to that. Not always, you know, like that's the Maybe that's the rainbow view of it, but you know, it's still, we just do, we do the best we can. Yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. And it may be a decade or two or three before, before those seeds that are planted actually grow into fruition. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a challenging part. You said she came out of a family of six. Yeah. So she had, um, Actually, she was a family of five. I think she had another sibling as well that wasn't in the house, but she had, um, and she was the oldest. She and the youngest were uh, newborn twins. Actually, they were preemies. And so there was a lot, there was a lot going on for her um, and things that I didn't realize. I mean, as her teacher, um, I didn't realize that the reason she didn't, she was extremely intelligent, but the reason she wasn't answering questions in the classroom is because she couldn't see the board. And so that was like one of the first things we did is we took her to the eye doctor and got her glasses and guess what? She could see the board. You know, she had multiple teeth that were rotten and we, you know, took her to the dentist and he addressed all those issues. And um, so at least, you know, that part was kind of like a start to, you know, where we went through the next nine months. Uh but, you know, she was, she was super creative um, and just a really sweet girl who, you know, was, was struggling. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of struggle in her home life. Uh, did you guys get involved much with the bio family? So our only interaction was with her grandmother um, because the, at the time her mother didn't have contact with her. Um, and that's a whole story that I didn't even know the details of. And then the father was now in jail. And so, and the stepmother was also in jail. And then, so the grandmother was the person that we had contact with and she didn't, she, for, for various reasons, she wasn't allowed to have custody of her right away. So it took about nine months, but we did visitations. And then, you know, every week she would come and we'd meet at a restaurant and, they could have a conversation and, and then it got, got to the point where the last couple ones where she could go back uh, with her grandmother to her house for two nights. And, and that was kind of the, the beginning of, you know, and, and I think the hardest thing was that I think the grandmother was really angry with us and, you know, we were just trying to, you know, we didn't make the decision that, that the grandmother couldn't take her right away. Like our, you know, our decision was that we're taking this little girl into our home, into our family. But the grandmother, I think, was really upset that she didn't get custody right away. And she really pushed that on us. And, um, you know, I can't I can't tell you why, um, but it definitely was that made it really difficult. But but at the end, when the grandmother got custody, the grandmother said, you know, thank you. And, you know, I didn't need a thank you. That wasn't the point. But, you know, just that you could tell she was finally, okay, I now have custody of her. I can, I can move forward. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that we have to realize sometimes as foster families that we're going to be part of the target of the anger that people are experiencing. Yeah. I mean, and, and I get it, it makes sense, but you know, I've, I felt like, 
you know, that it was, it was a struggle. Like we, I felt like, okay, we're just trying to do our best here. We, we didn't make this decision. We didn't, you know, we, our only decision was to not let her live in a teen shelter. Like that was our only decision. Um, but again, as you unpack it, you realize, you know, that it's really, it's not about me. It's just the anger is there because, you know, it's, it's such a difficult situation. And that, that took a long time for me to like really understand and say, wait, it, it has nothing to do with me. You know, this has nothing to do with me at all. It's just part of the situation. Yeah. I know we we've experienced a little bit of that from time to time. I actually have right over here over my heart. There's a tattoo of a young boy who stayed with us for his first year of life. And um, yeah, I think his biological family was, was kind of had some of that, those thoughts in them to begin with. And, Pretty quickly, I think they realized that we were just staying. We, we got him. He was only a few days old when he came to our house. And they would not let. And that one, I, I know why they wouldn't let grandma. It wasn't actually grandma. It was his his grandmother's sister, his great great aunt, I think that is. I don't know. Relationship math is not my strong suit. I think it's great aunt. Um, but they wouldn't let her have him because we'd had some storms come through the area. And you know, here in the Midwest, we're blessed with tornadoes. And she lost part of the roof of her house, like had some, some real damage to the roof of her house and a fly by night company came through and took her insurance money and they forgot to do the job of actually fixing her house. And she was, she was on a fixed income and she didn't have the extra money to pay somebody else to come, you know, pay them a second time to get the job actually done. And so her house was not a safe place to put an infant when you don't have an actual roof. Yeah. And so she had to, she had to come up with some, some money and get her house fixed up to where it was, it was in, in viable place to, to have a kid in there. And so for her, that was a real difficult thing because through no fault of her own, this young guy who she cared about couldn't come stay with her, but she eventually got it all taken care of. And, and he was, he was, it was right before his first birthday that he went back. Wow. Now, now I know that for us, when that happened, like baby Carl, his real name wasn't Carl. As pretty much anybody involved with the system knows, we don't we don't actually give out kids' names and and tell like like things like that that makes kids identifiable. So when you hear me talk about baby Carl, his name was not Carl. I promise. Um, that's just the nickname he got somehow or another. I don't know. He was he was a little guy who who looked like a he had one of those baby faces that looked like a shriveled up old man. Mm-hmm. And one of the kids' friends said. He looks like an old man, like like an old man named Carl, and somehow or another that stuck. And so we just called him Carl forever. But baby Carl, you know, um, when he left our house, and, and he was one of those babies. Like if you you've ever seen a dream baby, like the ones that are happy and smiley, ninety nine point eight percent of the time, that was him. He was just super happy all the time. Super great kid to have around. Everybody loved him. And when he left our house. I couldn't buy a smile for two months. We did not have a smile in our home anywhere. The kids, my wife, I, we we had gotten so attached to him that to see him leave was just, it was terrible. As a matter of fact, I had a, I had a three day weekend coming up at work and I just said, Hey, you know what? Pack a couple days worth of clothes. We're going to drive down to Memphis. It's about a five hour drive from us. We're just going to get out of town and go do something to get us away from this. And, you know, it took something like that for us just to, to go somewhere different and, and push us into a different experience just to begin to, to get to the place where we could heal through some of that grief. What was that like for your family in that moment when she finally went back to her, her family? Yeah, it was really tough because, um, you know, we didn't know what direction we, we were open for wh- whatever direction, you know, this went and, you know, especially for our kids, you know, for us as well, but especially for our kids that, um, you know, you have this in your life now and, and nine months is a long time. A year is a long time. You know, these are, you know, these our our kids are young. So, you know, it's a big percentage of their life that she was, you know, with us. And they had a hard time when she left and they couldn't understand why she wasn't having a hard time. And I was explaining to them, like, she is having a hard time. Like it's not, but this is kind of how her life has been. She's been, you know, with this parent for a bit and then this parent for a bit. And then, you know, um, you know, it kind of like, she was constantly moved around so like she was kind of waiting for the day that she was going to the next place. And so when it happened, it was like, you know, I did my big, you know, all, all the things to, you know, to do the reassurance of, you know, what an amazing girl she was. And, 
but for the kids, they, you know, they were really upset and it took a, it took a while for them to kind of be like, and they actually felt, you know, this, this was kind of like a one-off situation for us and that we weren't planning on fostering again, we already have six kids. Um, but because of the situation, you know, we obviously said yes, but was it a plan to do that again? It wasn't a plan. And I think with our kids, because it was so hard on them, we were like, okay, um, you know, maybe later nowadays, actually the kids are like, you know, we should go, we should really consider fostering. Um, now that three kids are out of the house and we're 50% empty nesters, um, especially our youngest daughter's like, you know, maybe we should become a foster family. And I'm like, okay, you know, we can talk about that later right now. Let's like, let's get through our day. <laughs> you know, it's great. It's great when your kids like are, you know, and I love it though. I love the fact that they feel so strongly that, you know, of the impact that you can have or that, you know, that they're, they have this piece of selflessness where, you know, they want to kind of be out there to, um, you know, add more siblings all the time, all the time. <laughs> Hi, this is Jason. And Jason. Also known as... Turtle. May is Foster Care Awareness Month. The month of May every year is dedicated as National Foster Care Awareness Month. And we wanted to talk to you guys real quick about how important that is. Turtle, how important do you think it is? Super important. Did you know that there was almost a half a million kids out there that need a home right now? No. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think it's a good thing that, that people help out kids in foster care? Yeah. How do they help kids? By taking them in, feeding them, giving all, them all the stuff they need, giving them a safe place. Yeah, that's important stuff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You don't think we can take a half a million kids into our house, do you? No. That's right. We need to find a safe place for all those kids, don't we? Mm-hmm. So all the people out there listening need to know how much we need foster homes. They really do. Yes. Yeah. Well, and we had that to some extent to begin with. Now that some of our, our older kids are a little bit older and I've had an opportunity, you know, I have one son who's 20 and CJ, my oldest son, he turns 23 this year, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 23. Uh, sorry, you, you probably know the struggle when they get to a certain age and they all change every year and there's that many of them. You have to really like start thinking birth dates and yeah. Yep. yep. So, so I've had those conversations with my 20 and 23 year old and they've actually talked about the difficulties that, that they experienced in letting, letting go of those kids and how that has really impacted them in different ways. Have you had yeah. those conversations with your kids? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, th I think that it is, you know, and that, and that was the conversation that after, and we'll call her Hannah, that is not her real name. Um, but after Hannah left, um, they, they were, they were devastated. And, and they're like, I don't think we can do this again. And I was like, you know, again, going through the reasons of, you know, how, how the system works and why it works this way. And really kind of saying like, you can't, you're sad right now. And, and, you know, the conversations we're having are because of the emotions that you're having versus how you truly feel. I think, you know, in six months from now, you might feel a little bit differently, but you know, when it's so fresh, you know, the emotions are so raw that you, you know, really struggle to kind of move forward. And, you know, again, they were little and she was, you know, she was, she was a great kid and she, she was fun to have around and the, the, our other kids really enjoyed being with her so that it was a, it was a big struggle. Um, yeah. Do you guys still have any contact with her? None whatsoever. Oh, that's difficult, huh? Yeah. It was as soon as, um, as soon as she left and, you know, I was talking to the, the guardian and I said, like, you know, like, do we have in, they said only if, only if the grandmother wants to reach out to you, will you have contact with her? And I knew when we packed up the car that it wasn't going to happen um, because she was so angry from the beginning at us. And that's okay. Like as long as she's safe now, I actually did um, because she is an adult now. I uh, did find her on uh, social media. I'm not going to reach out because that's not my place to, to do it. And I figured, you know, later in life, if she wants to reach out, then, you know, I'm here. Uh, but it was nice to see like that, that she was, she seemed, 
she looked great. She seems like she's doing good. So um, those were the things that were important to me. Yeah, we have a we have a couple kids that they're not old enough to make those decisions on their own, and so we we look out at social media and sometimes get the opportunity to see some pictures and see that they're doing well, and that's that's you know makes your heart feel good to know that they're in a good place. And even if you can't, I've actually reached out to to one particular parent, and I don't know that that they check their Facebook very often. Just looking at it seems to be a pretty abandoned project, but um. <clears throat> but I've never gotten a response. So we just respect that privacy. And if they, if they are not interested in, in connecting with us, you know, I'd love to be able to to talk with him and hear him tell his side of the story as to how everything went through, because it was a, a really contentious situation, you know, between him and, and her and, and how everything went with that and the kids. And I think he's probably got a story that would be worth listening to for people. But if he's not interested, we just sit back and, and wait, maybe that'll change and maybe it won't. That's yeah. one of the difficult parts of this. Yeah, it is because again, you're every day, you know, for whatever period of time, you're completely immersed in this child's life. And you you now know all the details, what they like, what they don't like, and um, and what, you know, and a lot of what they've been through. And then one day it just stops and you're like, Okay, this is this is not like when my kids, you know, leave home to go off to college or to start a job. This is full stop, you know, no no contact, no nothing, no understanding of what's what's happening in their lives and it really it really is hard. And and it's and it's sad, but you know, again, it's when you when you sign up for something, you know, you're doing the things that are in the best interest of the child. And then when, you know, the, the family comes back and, you know, you have to respect their wishes and if they're not willing to reach out, then you don't get the information. Yeah. Yeah. It's the closest thing to the death of a child. Anyone ever wants to experience Yeah, <clears throat> because it, they're still there, but completely disconnected. That's it's, it's a really difficult situation. I wanted to jump back because you mentioned that when you brought her into your home, you guys had six kids already. And I know all six of those are not biological kids. Nope. <laughs> what led you guys towards adoption to begin with? Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you found some value in what we do, I would really appreciate it if you could help support us. There are two ways you can support us. One is just sharing the episode with friends or family or anyone you think that might be interested in joining us in our mission with foster care and adoption. And secondly, if you have a couple dollars to help us offset the cost a little bit, we have a new account over at Buy Me A Coffee. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash foster care. That's the only thing you need to know. You don't have to have an account or anything like that. You just go over to buymeacoffee.com slash foster care and you can throw a couple dollars our way to help offset the cost of producing and recording and all the things that go into building this because unfortunately this stuff is still not free. So whatever way you can support us, I would greatly appreciate it. What led you guys towards adoption to begin with? So it really started between uh, my first two children. Um, there were four years in between the first two. I wasn't getting pregnant right away. So we started talking about adoption uh, back then. And we we actually have um, a cousin who has adopted three children. And so we started the conversations with them. And, and we're like, you know, this is what we really want to do. Okay, guess what? I found out I was pregnant. So uh, that wasn't the timing for it, you know? Um, and then when we moved, uh, back to Florida, we had our third child and we started having the conversation again. And we started saying, what do you think? It's kind of like the, the now or never conversation. We're not getting any younger. Um, and I think we're in a really good place. And really the conversation was that there's just so many amazing kids in the world, just waiting for a family to love them and we can be that family. And so that's what we did. We, we adopted our son, Noah, from South Korea, and he was a baby. He was four months old, um, and that was, that, was a, uh, that was definitely a journey. He, 
he has a lot of sensory issues. He has ADHD and he's um, on the autism spectrum, highly functioning, but he, he likes his, his systems in place. You know, he likes his routine um, and he would cry about everything. And so our flight home from Seoul to Chicago, he cried 16 out of the 18 hours. Um, no matter what you did, you put him in the car, he cried. You took him out of the car, he cried. You know, it was just figuring out like here, here I am. I have three kids, and I'm like, I got this. I didn't, I didn't have this. Again, every kid is so different. There, there's no manual. Okay. Even if there was, it wouldn't work um, because every kid is so different. And um, that's kind of how we started that piece. You know, we really, it was really, a, it was such a great part of our journey. And, kind of really opened up our eyes to the world and to other kids and, and, you know, the, my level of patience, I thought I was a patient person. I didn't know what patience was back then. I mean, now I know what patience is. So, and that was Noah. Be careful. (laughs) You know what patience is. God just might have something in store for you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're right. Okay. You're right. (laughs) Trust me. I know I've made that mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, I kind of know what patience is. How is that? How's that? Yeah. Yeah. You got to be careful. You you don't want God to say, hey, I got an extra lesson here. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, That's okay. I like extra lessons sometimes. So, you know. And, you know, like he, he really did turn our world upside down, but we loved every minute of it. It was, you know, it was chaos. Now we're like, you know, with four kids, we're zone defense and, you know, we were hoping that we make it through the day, but we still felt like our family was capable of more and said, okay, let's, do we want to do this again? And, um, you know, we took a, at this point, the whole family has to be on board. It's it's a village, right? So, you know, each time we would take a, a blind vote, the kids would write down their yes or no and understanding that they're part of the process. They're a part of, you know, helping with the other kids. Um, and each time the, the answer was yes. And so, um, and I asked my daughter, my, one of my daughters, you know, why she didn't hesitate when she wrote down her answer. And she said, mom, we're talking about the life of another child. How could anyone vote no? And um, that kind of sums up my kids. They, you know, like like I said, they would, they would do it again today. And so for our second adoption, we adopted our son Ari from Ethiopia and he was four and a half years old when he came home. Now, so that's two kids internationally. I know you said you adopted three kids. Are they all international adoptions? Yes. And, um, and then our last adoption was also from Ethiopia. And we again requested a boy between four and 10 and surprise, uh, we, um, were matched with Millie who was two and a half years old at the time. And honestly, for a reason, she's like, definitely completes our family. She is, she's an amazing human. Okay, well, I'm just going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to do one of those things that my mom always told me not to do here. Ask away. Just never make an assumption because when you do, when you assume it makes this out of this and that. Yes. And I went, okay, mom, that's close. You ever got to cussing at me, but mm. I know what you're saying. I'm going to make an assumption here. Okay. You do not look either Korean or Ethiopian to me. <laughs> uh, no, I'm pretty white. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that brings in a lot of interesting dynamics into any situation. And, um, you know, we're, we're both, or let's see, you said your, your Noah was an infant when you adopted him. Yeah. He was four months old. Okay. So um, I assume the cultural side of that probably wasn't, wasn't a big shift at first. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was a baby. So it, you know, it was kind of like, I am definitely like figuring out the pieces of how to, you know, quiet him and, you know, make him happy. Those kinds of pieces, you know, where, you know, maybe that could have been, you know, a cultural piece, but, you know, not understand, you know, not hearing that same tone of voice, all of those things. But yeah, not, it, it wasn't like when we brought Ari home at four and a half years old, that's a whole different ball game. You know, he, he has memories. He has had experiences that, um, kind of even defining moments that, you know, that will be part of him forever. And as he gets older, they get a little cloudier, but, but things that he still remembers. Absolutely. Because, you know, the kids that we have adopted came through the foster system and, and they, they all come with their, 
their, I guess their level of memories, like Twitch, my youngest, uh, again, not a real name, but that one, because I don't call hardly any of my kids by their real name. They all end up with nicknames for whatever reason. Um, but Twitch was a few days old when we got him. I know I'll take that back. He was, he spent a couple of weeks in the hospital. He had a, he was put on a methadone wing down. He was born addicted. And then he came to our house and realistically he's been with us from, you know, he'll never have memories from another place, mm-hmm. which ironically, this kid has the most amazingly vivid memories from this past life that he had his, his other family. And, and he comes up with these stories and after talking with some psychologists and like, this is pretty normal. Like they, they going to build backstories mm-hmm. and some of them are really wildly interesting. And I love to sit and just listen to him because this kid has an imagination. Like you wouldn't believe like, his dad put him up in a tree and then they fought some big snake to keep him safe. And, and, um, and then they killed the snake, but then the snake killed them. And then that's when the foster care people came. Huh? Yeah. And I go, yeah. well, like, uh, I, and I've listened to a lot of psychologists talking about things and I swear, like, this is, a, this is one of those archetypal stories that's in every human, I believe. And, it's wildly interesting to see that he created this whole story on his own because we, we've never really told him anything like, like we don't have stories about his, his biological family to tell him, I guess is, is the right answer there. So your kids create these stories about who they are and where they come from. And one of those challenges is when they come from a different place, geographically, ethnically, culturally, and some of these stories are really challenging because we, we have, kids who are mixed. We have white kids. We have, you know, we have kind of a rainbow in our house. And so when they see that, like it, they notice the difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, at least in our family, you know, I think it's really important to notice the difference. I mean, I think that we're not colorblind. We see color. And I think it's important to acknowledge that we see color because if we don't, then you're erasing like all of their past. Right. And so for us, it's really about embracing the kids exactly how they are, who they are, and really respecting everything that's, you know, brought them to this point in time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, now, was that your first reaction at the beginning of this? Or did it take you a minute to find your way there? Because I'm not going to lie. It took me a minute to find my way there, for sure. Um, Yeah, I think it took me a minute too. I mean, you know, I can I can look back and and have uh invent history. But, you know, again, I grew up in a, you know, in a sheltered life, I would say, you know, I didn't see, I mean, my parents took us to travel and stuff like that, but really seeing the world, really understanding people and really, really taking a step back and saying, like, I respect people for exactly who they are. Um, that took, that took a little bit. And that, and I think it's like seeing the experiences that my kids have had with, with other kids, with other adults, how people respond to them, you know, made me really think about like, how, how do I want to respond to other people? Who, how do I want to interact? And what do I think is really important that would be a positive way? Right. So yeah, it, t- it took a minute, you know, again, and, and that's okay because like, you know, we're learning, we're moving forward. I mean, that's what we do in all aspects of parenting. You know, we don't, we don't just start and say, we know it all, you know, we, we figure out, you know, how to, how to work through things and, and work with things. That's what we do. Well, speak for yourself because not all <laughs> of us are smart enough to start there. Some of us think we know everything from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I knew nothing. I got married at 21. I had my first kid at 24. My oldest kid is now 24. And I'm thinking, I can't imagine him having, first of all, I couldn't imagine him getting married right now, but him having a kid at 24, like he, you know, he's still a kid, you know? And so when I look back and think like I was a kid, you know, and I look back at my pictures, I was really, I really was a kid. Like I, you know, I was like, oh, I, I'm, I've really, you know, I've, I've, I've doubled, doubled my age and I've aged. (laughs) (laughs) Personally speaking, I was just a big idiot at the time and (laughs) thought I knew what I was talking about. And, and apparently life had, had uh, the the need to teach me otherwise and that's yeah. why I have kids I think because I mean my son of my oldest son have talked about some of these things and the dad he had 20 years ago was a whole different guy than the guy that that's here today and, and we've talked about that and I said you know dude I want you to realize something back then 
at your earliest memory, I was the age that you are now. Are you ready? Are you ready to do that now? Are you ready to create that, you know, like take care of kids and and do all that? How do you think you would do in this moment? I mean, like literally I was, I was uh, just a larger kid trying to pretend like I was as an adult. Yeah. I, uh, I don't, well, I guess maybe I pretended a little bit, but when it came to like the kid stuff, I was like, okay, this is, this is like a really steep learning curve. <laughs> like I got to learn all of this stuff and, you know, and that, and it is looking at, um, you know, my oldest son, actually my, my, my next oldest, my daughter turned 21 yesterday and same kind of thing. I'm like, can you get, can you imagine getting married next month? And she's like, no way. <laughs> she's like, I don't know what was wrong with you. I'm like, Hey, it worked out. Okay. You know, like it, it we've been married almost 28 years now, but you know, it's like, I look at my kids and think, you know, that, they, I can't imagine them, you know, raising another human, although they've been, you know, integral in, you know, the, the house and really helping with their siblings. So they know how to do all the pieces, but to have to do it for themselves, that's a whole different story. Oh yeah. <laughs> what, what would have been some of the, the larger pain points you've experienced going through this, trying to figure out how to get through it, that, that just sneak up because man, I think the things that are the hardest are the ones we don't even know are coming. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, if we talk about Noah for a minute, you know, really looking at all of the things that he struggled with and, you know, we had a hard time getting, you know, we knew that he had a lot of sensory issues, you know, getting people to understand him, getting other kids to understand him and other parents, actually the kids understand him. It's the parents that, um, that judge way too much, right? Like we're all human. Let's just be kind to each other. You know, we were at a birthday party and Noah, when he gets overwhelmed about something, he, um, and now that he's 14, not so much, but you know, tears will come and he, he's, you know, he's, he's got a rigid, rigid ideas. Like it's this way or it's this way. It's black or white. There's no kind of in between. And so something happened. He wasn't happy about what happened. And so instead of, you know, just kind of brushing it off, which, you know, the other kids might have done, um, you know, became a, a crying moment and he was really upset. And, and so I could hear the other parents saying, I can't believe he's still behaving like this. You know, like he's, he's old enough to, to not behave like this anymore. And, and that kind of like broke my heart right there. But what happened in the next moment was kind of gave me like the the hope for humanity is that one of the kids was standing there and said, oh, it's okay. You know, Noah has autism. And so sometimes he reacts like that. He'll be over it in a few minutes, like, and then he'll be back to back to him himself, you know, stop stressing about it. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where you're like, like the kids get it, but the parents have to say something negative where the kids are like, you know, hey, he's got autism, like, you know. This is, this is Noah. Like, this isn't like, there's nothing wrong with Noah, right? Like Noah, this is who he is. And, you know, for people to judge him and think, oh, he's not normal or he, you know, and so that those things I think have been, um, in terms of for him, you know, those have been, uh, hard things. And honestly, not that I really care what anybody else thinks, but I do care when my kids hear what someone, when someone else, what someone else thinks, like, that's the hard part. Oh yeah. And it's amazing how sometimes I can't believe I'm going to say this. Sometimes even teenagers can teach us important lessons. Like mm-hmm. they pull out wisdom that we're missing. Yes, they do. And I'm admitting it as well, but I do. I, my, one of my big things is that I, you can learn something from everyone. And so you know, sometimes our kids, like for example, uh, are, and I actually, my, when I'm talking about my children, I am using my children's real names. So, um, our youngest daughter, because it's in my book, so their names are out there. Um, my youngest daughter, uh, Millie, she, um, I remember once we were having a really hard time. One of the hardest things for Noah was getting dressed in the morning, just the whole routine piece. Like it was really hard for him. If it wasn't exactly the routine he wanted, it was a struggle. And so his clothes were on, but his socks weren't on yet. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to be putting your socks on until you're 30 years old? And, you know, I'm like, no, you got to get your socks on. He's like, I can't do it. And I was like, yes, you can. And so, uh, Millie's like, it's okay, mom. 
I got it. And so she literally, um, she walks up to him and she says, um, Hey baby, um, do you need help getting your socks on? And he's like, well, I'm not a baby. And she's like, well, only babies can't put their socks on. Guess what? He put his socks on, never had to deal with that again. So I'm like, I just learned something from like my four-year-old child. (laughs) I was like, that was pretty (laughs) impressive. You know, and they do, they have these moments where you're like, huh, why didn't I try that before? You know, but it worked. Kids are amazing things sometimes. There there are days we all, you know, why we all understand why uh, Homer Simpson invented the Homer choke. We all have those moments. (laughs) And then it's amazing to watch a kid walk in and, and do what we can't do. Yeah. And they can like, there's the, there's these moments where I'm like, okay, I'm like, I, I don't know what else to try. I don't know what else to do. And one of the kids are like, well, I got it. I'm like, you do. Oh, you do. Okay. I'm walking away. Good for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, my, my two youngest here, it's been two years ago. So they were probably, oh, three and five ish, uh, yeah, I think that's the age difference. They like three and five is the age, and and we got um they gotten bikes, and my my five year old says, Dad, I want to take the training wheels off. Okay, let's see if this, how this works, and I take the training wheels off, and then I go to like help him take off, knowing that he's about to bite the dust and deal with all that, and he takes off down the driveway like a rocket, and turns around and comes back, and I'm just like, huh. <laughs> yeah. And then the three-year-old says, dad, I want to take mine off too. And I'm like, but you're, you're a little too, no dad, I can, I can do. I'm like, I stop and think, well, I was wrong on the first one. Like I waited yeah. too long on the first one, you know, the, the older one, obviously. So I pull him off and I'll be hanged. If that boy didn't just take off like a rocket right behind his brother. And I went, holy cow, these kids, like they have ability that I was not even giving them credit for yet. Yeah. That's another thing we do. Yeah. Yeah. And the only place where I was actually right is neither one of them had a real good grasp on stopping yet. <laughs> I mean, they figured yeah. out how to stop because as boys, when you stop the bicycle, you know, you lock at the back tire and you slide and it leaves a mark and it's super cool and all. But then without the training wheels, that sudden stop comes with put your feet down because, you know. Yeah. But, you know. They don't than, flip over the front. Yes. Yeah. Other than that, they, they had everything figured out. And it was yeah. really amazing to see how much they knew about their own abilities that, that I did not give them credit for. The first time uh, Ari, so again, he came home at four and a half. So the first time we went swimming, um, you know, he had watched the other kids swim and he was like so excited to go in the pool and, you know, we're in the pool. He jumps in and he literally sinks like a rock to the bottom, a smile on his face the whole time. (laughs) And I'm like, so we lift him up. We're like, okay, like take a breath. And, you know, of course, like we have like three words, you know, like we're obviously he didn't speak English. So, you know, we were working on language skills at the same time. And, um, but like, as soon as we showed him like how to float, how to kick, like right away, he got it. It was like, I was like, oh, he's not ready. He's ready. Like it was, it's, it's amazing to, to watch how they pick, pick things up so quickly. And, you know, that, and we don't sometimes give them enough credit for for what they can do. Sometimes we give them too much credit, but uh, you know, I think ten, we tend to, at least in my house, we're like, oh, I don't know if you're ready for that yet. And they're like, yes, we are. Oh, yeah, you can do that. Yeah. How many times have you heard the phrase, I'm not a baby. You treat me like I'm, a, yeah. I'm just guessing you hear that one too. I know that yeah. that's, that's been a phrase in my house that I've heard more times than I can count. And what's really hard is that, you know, so our youngest is 13, our oldest is 24. And so the 13-year-old thinks she's capable of doing stuff that the 24-year-old can do. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, you are still 13, you know, like, you're not taking the car out. You're not like all of these things where, you know, like, no, no, that's not, that's not how it's going to work. But, um, you know, like watching movies, she's like, well, you know, well they can watch an R movie. I'm like, well, cause they're old enough. And she's like, well, you know, I'm sitting in the same room, so I'm going to have to leave the room while they watch a movie. I was like, yeah, kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it fails. Sometimes, you know, you know, we don't always follow through on all those kinds of things because you can't do it all the time. Um, but yeah, it's funny how they, you know, they, they grow up way too fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't worry. I don't think that's the cops coming after me. If you can hear them. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, is that my house or your house? We live right by a major roadway here. And um, 
Yeah, they like to make noise on the right. And the ambulance district is right across the street and the firehouse is around the corner. It's a small mm-hmm. town. So yeah, we get lots of noises. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, no, these 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 are experiences that we've had and lessons I've had to learn many times over with different kids because even as we talk, I'm you know, I'm I'm thinking about a conversation that that I probably need to have with one of our with one specific kid that that you know we're going through a lot of that stuff with right now because the teen years are hard and it sounds like you've been through those teen years at least once already yeah so the i mean the oldest three are you know 24 21 and 18 and then Ari's 16 so we're kind of right in the middle of it with him and you know he's he's just a really good kid but you know when we talk about like the cultural differences and having um you know a multicultural family you know um being honest, like we definitely have different conversations with him, you know, than we did with our oldest son who is white and 24, right? Like, you know, when we talk about driving, you know, like we really have these conversations of if you ever get pulled over, you know, like there's this app, you know, like say that Siri, I'm being pulled over and then it starts recording everything. It's horrible. Like these are these things that we're saying, you know, you keep your hands on the wheel, you, um, you don't walk around the neighborhood with a hoodie on. Like there's, there's no love. What is that game that the kids used to play ding dong dash or whatever? Like you're not going up to someone's house and ringing the doorbell. Like these things are, and it's horrible that we live in a world where we have to have different conversations um, because of the color of his skin. And it, it's heartbreaking to me. And, and it's been completely eye opening. and, you know, I wish I could change it all, but you know, little pieces at a time is the best we can do. Yeah. Because we have kids of, of different, different ethnicities here. And, you know, as I mentioned a time or two, I am what you would call ambiguously Brown. So I am whatever you assume I am when, when I get pulled over, you know, I don't have a choice as to what you assume that is to begin with, but I was raised by a police officer. And so I will tell you right. My very first instinct when I get pulled over, my hands, the, the wallet comes out and sets up on the dashboard where the driver's license is. The engine's off. The keys are sitting there. My hands are on the steering wheel when they walk up. And, and I have had more than one police officer walk up and take a look and go, all right, who do you know that's a cop? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I do all the things the way that they want because yeah. that's just how I was trained. But we're in a world today where like, like that's more than just not getting a ticket written mm-hmm. or getting yourself in some kind of serious trouble. That's it's a lot more dangerous. And I don't know that it's more dangerous now than it was when I was first learning to drive many years ago. We'll stick with many. It's <laughs> 20 something years ago. I don't know that the culture has changed for the, you know, was changed better back then. I'm, I'm certain it's gotten better than now than it was then. But even in that time frame, you know, my own dad was, was kind of training me with some of that stuff so that I knew how to handle it. And today we see more of it because there's more social media, more ability for people to, to put those, those stories and those experiences out there that, man, that's a tough, a tough conversation to have with your kids. Yeah. I think it's a really tough conversation. Um, especially because it's not uniform, right? I don't have to have, I didn't have to have that conversation with my older kids. And so, um, I think that that's the thing that was uh, most heartbreaking to me, but honestly, first experience that, uh, that he had not in his car, but on a jet ski, he, uh, got his boater's license and he wasn't like 30 feet from the house and he got pulled over and they said he was going. And this kid is like, it's his first time really out there by himself. Like he's like creeping along and he got pulled over and they said he was going too fast in a no wake zone, which it wasn't a no wake zone. But um, not only did he, he had to show his driver's license, his boater's license, he had to point out the house that he lived in, like it was kind of like it. And I said to him, I said, what, you know, what do you think was happening or why, why do you think it happened like that? And he's like, how many black people do you see on a jet ski in Sarasota? And I was like, so like his eyes right away were that this is why he was pulled over. They, they wrote him a warning. They let him go. He's been pulled over many times now on a jet ski doing nothing. Um, but he, you know, he knows how to handle it. And, but again, as a parent, um, just shouldn't be how things go down. And, um, hopefully, you know, things will 
you know, I can't even say I'm saying it from the the point of view of someone who's white, right? Like I live with white privilege. I really do. So to say like, oh, hopefully things are are starting to change, you know, things have been starting to change for a long time, but it should, that just should not be the way the world works. And uh, I think that's one of the hardest things as a parent is that when, you know, you look at your kids and say, I want exactly the same for each of my kids. You know, I really want them to feel comfortable into their in their skin. I want them to be confident. I want them to, you know, yes, they're going to struggle. They're all going to struggle with their own things, but to um, struggle because of the color of their skin, I think is just wrong. So. I agree with you 100%. You know, I was raised in a time and a place where racism abounded, you know, I'm, I'm not, my mama taught me some things I will learn. I'm not going to ask you your age, but I know that in, in my, in my time, um, like racism abounded, like that was part of our experience growing up. It was around us. I mean, the first time I was ever called an ethnic slur was, I was seven years old in second grade. And the little girl who was asking me if I was white or something else, um, you know, I don't think she was like this hardcore racist. I think she just grew up around people who who spoke that way. And this was in the middle of a classroom. And mind you, we were we were in the super rural South. Uh, I far enough rural that I never met my neighbors. They lived that far away. There was a sawmill off in the distance you could hear, but that's all I knew. Um, so we were deep in the, in the, in the, the South, but that was, that was just a part of growing up. And I didn't even understand it at the time. And it's one of those things that as we look at, we, we see, you know, see kids go through that. And I try to have that conversation with my own kids. You know, I have a 15 year old son who is, he is full on in his teen years. Right. And trying to have that conversation and he's still invincible. Mm -hmm. He's still in 15 year old invincible mode. And it's difficult to have that conversation and have him take me seriously a lot of times. But man, like, like I, I work inside of the city of St. Louis on a regular basis. I'm I'm all over the city of St. Louis. And man, that stuff is real down there. I mean, it's yeah. real. Yeah. I, you know, so I am 48 years old. I'm proud to say it. You know, age is just a, you know, that that's just a number. So, um, but yeah, I mean, definitely how I grew up now, I, I'm Jewish. So I had that added layer as well. So when we talk about our family, we're black, white, Asian, and Jewish. So we, we, you know, we, we cover a lot of bases in our family. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when I first tried to have a conversation with Ari about the driving piece and, you know, the things about keeping your hands on the steering wheel and stuff, he's like, I know, I know, I know. But that that moment when he uh, was pulled over, um, I think that really that was kind of the I'm not invincible moment. Like, you know, forget the I got it, mom. OK, mom, this is what happened. And I was like, you know, this is goes back to and I didn't do that. You know, oh, this is why I, I just did the you know, I'm so sorry that this happened. It should have never happened, you know, and those are just really hard conversations. But I. Uh, you know, again, for him to learn the first time out that he's not invincible, uh, I think was really eye-opening for him. Yeah, that's real difficult moments to have with your kids, you know, because, you know, my my own kids oftentimes, you know, because I can't tell you what nationality I am. I, I have actually done the 20, no, yeah, I did 23 and me because I was curious, right? Mm -hmm. And so it comes back with a list of all the different countries and ethnicities and all the backgrounds. And basically mine said, yes. <laughs> you won the lottery. Congratulations. Yeah, I, I got yes. Uh -huh. and, and you know, the, the only one that I saw that was really surprising was there was a reasonable um, percentage of Scandinavian in there. And as Scandinavians go, I'm not very like pure white. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not a small guy. So I got that going for me and I'm, I have the ability to grow a large beard. Yeah. I was going to uh, say the, the beard gives it away. No. <laughs> right? And ironically, my, one of my, um, my, my kids, my, my biological son with my wife, we have one biological together. Um, she has a biological son that she brought into the, into the marriage. And so our, my one biological son, he is taller than me. He has a, a bright red beard and is pale and white as you can. It, it's, you look at that stuff and you go, man, that stuff, it's so arbitrary, right? And so fascinating. It is, it is. And then so many people take that arbitrary genetic mm -hmm. makeup and create so many stories around it. And it's so hard for us to, to at least explain to our kids where this comes from 
and how to how to at least and I hate to have to even say this, but how to keep themselves safe from people who make a lot of decisions based off of that arbitrary DNA. Yeah, again, like these things don't, you know, they don't define who we are. I mean, these are part of us, right? But to have decisions made about us or for us because of any of those pieces is just, I mean, to me, it's ridiculous, right? Like that doesn't, that's not how we come forward in the world or how we inspire people around us or how we affect change in the world. It just, you know, by, you know, by just labeling people and saying, well, you know, this person is this, or this person can't do this because this person is this to me, it's, it's just a killer. It's like, how is, how is this our world? That's been one of the things that I hope to see the next generation change. My older yeah. two sons are as my wife's maiden name is McClanahan. I'll let you take, you, you can make some mm-hmm. assumptions there as to what her ethnicity is and you would be right. Yes. You know, red hair. It's not red right now, but that's, that has to do with more, um, more color, hair coloring products <laughs> than anything else. But you know, red hair, pale skin. Yeah. She's, she's as Irish as they come. Right. And so, you know, I am not, we'll just leave it at that, I guess, cause I don't have good answers there. But I look at my sons who are just as my older two sons who are just as white as her and they go to a school here and we're in rural Missouri and the area we're in is strange for a rural area. Very, very diverse. And it's funny, their friends come over when they were in high school and they had just this wildly diverse friend group. You know, we'd have kids with Latin backgrounds show up. Um, uh, their, their one friend, uh, Jeff, who um, Jeff's a, he's, he was always a great kid. And I didn't know it until I'd known this kid for a while. I just assumed he was, um, he was black. That's just what he looks like. So whatever, you know, it's just another, another tick on what you look like. And that's about all that matters. And then I found out he was actually, he's mixed. Um, but he just, he doesn't, he, he takes on a lot of the characteristics that, that make him look black. And I got to, to where I would call Jeff, my son's half white friend, because that messes with people. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows how to handle that. But, you know, that was just kind of, it was like a little bit of a running joke maybe, but the friend group was so diverse. And I see our kids get to that place in life where they don't seem to really care. And I have hope in my heart that the next generation of kids are going to be the ones who figure out how to kind of put that behind us. Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, I, I, I have that hope as well. Again, not forgetting our past, not, you know, not saying that we don't see color, um, but but also understanding that, you know, we're human, right? Like, let's respect each other. Let's care for each other. Let's, I mean, especially, I mean, think about this year, everything that we have gone through as a people, like, you know, gosh, like when you're making a choice, choose to be kind, choose to be respectful, Um and you you have you have no idea what anybody else is going through on any given day, so don't judge. You know, like that's really how we kind of move forward in our in our family. Yeah, I love that when you have a choice, and don't we all have a choice every day, all day? Yeah, yeah. I mean our, our 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 life is built on choices, right? You choose to go left, you choose to go right. You can choose to be happy. You can choose to be miserable. I know there are outside forces sometimes with those kinds of decisions, but you could, you still have a choice, right? And, you know, you have a choice on how you reach out to other people and how you make that human connection. And, you know, it's always worth, you know, to me, making that human connection in a way that, you know, you're building people up instead of tearing them down. I mean, we're all people. Absolutely. And it sounds like you and your husband have done a great job of raising kids to see that and realize that and be able to accept in kids from different, different countries and different ethnicities and racial backgrounds and all that. And I'm going to, going to step into a little bit of my own prejudice here. And if you were to uh, reach out to the culture of one of your kids, I'm just going to tell you, reach into your, your Korean son's food culture. Um, because man, they have some of the best food. (laughs) (laughs) So it's funny that you bring that up because, um, yes, we, we love Korean food, but Noah, with all of his sensory issues, he doesn't even eat rice. Like he literally, you know, and we're like, you have no idea what you're missing. Um, but he doesn't care. Food is not like part of his, you know, 
excitement for the day, you know, like it's like, okay, it's a, it's a method to move forward, right? I have to eat this. So I have to drink this protein shake so I get enough protein, but yeah. So it's, um, and we love Ethiopian food as well. Like we are huge fans of Ethiopian food. And so we're like, okay, this is all these things that we really, you know, kind of learned about. If we talk about what we learned in the process, like the food piece is, you know, amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I don't look Korean. I know for a reason. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's one of the few things that was not on my <laughs> list on, the, on when I did, tested the DNA. But um, but I, I was a Korean linguist in the military, and so we we dealt with a lot of their their food culture and things and learned that. And I'm gonna tell you, there, there's one little place I know of here in the St. Louis area where I can go in, and it's the best description of it. It's like a little Korean Waffle House, more or less. And it's just the best food in the world. I mean, if you give me some kimbap and bulgogi, just get out of my way. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. See, I mean, again, like, let's let's look at the world. It's a big place, you know, the people, the food, the, you know, everything that we do. Like, it's so important to embrace all of it and really kind of learn more about other cultures and and understand more. And to have embraced all that and bring it into a family culture where you're taking care of kids who may not be biologically yours but you're still taking care of them and they become part of your family and and do that all with with the interest the love the care to know that they all come from different places and at the end of the day this place right here where i'm setting this place where you're setting that's your home and that's their home and you can create that for them yeah there's there's no place i'd i'd rather be i mean you know it really all of it has been an evolution, a learning experience. And again, I mean, you know, when we talk about adoption or fostering, it's, there are a lot of struggles. There's, you know, our children started a place of loss, right? You know, like, especially our children who are older when they, you know, they, you know, Ari, for example, you know, lost everything at four and a half years old and we can't rebuild because that means replacing and we're not replacing. We are building and we are, you know, loving him. And, you know, it's, this is our family and this is exactly never what I imagined. I thought I'd have one kid, uh, (laughs) um, but I can't imagine it any other way now. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's, it definitely does not come without its struggles, but through those struggles is I think where we find some of the, some of the greatest levels of beauty in our life. Agreed. 100%. Well, I really appreciate you coming in here and telling your story today, Simone. You, you've got quite a story. And I know you mentioned a book. There will be links in the show notes. Um, again, Apple has done something weird. So when you go to look at the, at the show notes on Apple, for whatever reason, the links don't work. They work other places, but not in Apple, and we can't figure out why. So if you go to fosternation.com and top left corner is a link that says podcast blog and you'll find this this episode and if you just click on that you'll be able to have all the show notes there and there'll be a link to the book you can find simone's book it is i'm gonna get this right it's the extraordinary unordinary you that is correct all right i like that name Thank you. It's because we're all, I mean, again, you know, I, for years I would say I'm an ordinary girl and I am an ordinary girl, but we are all unordinary, right? Like we all have these pieces to us that pieces to, you know, that, that are, are different and we all have extraordinary moments and extraordinary pieces within us. We just have to realize that we're there, that they're there. I think it's so much more descriptive and a better way of saying it than when I just call us weird ducks. <laughs> I like weird ducks though. I like that too. <laughs> so if you want to find Simone, you can find her at simonecanego.com. I'm going to go ahead and spell that because um, as Simone and I discussed earlier, it's not the easiest spelling in the world off the top of your head if if you don't know it. So it's Simone, S-I-M-O-N-E-K-N-E-G-O.com. Simonecanego.com. You can find her um, on her Instagram at author Simone Canego, Facebook at unordinary you under just under her name, Simone Canego on LinkedIn and on clubhouse as well at her, at her name. So if you guys are interested in, in clubhouse is a new thing that some people have really been jumping into. I've jumped in there a little bit, but if you guys do want to jump in there, find her in there in a room, maybe you'd be able to chat with her directly. So um, I know that 
Simone and, and uh, someone else who said, uh, one of your friends says, you guys are looking at starting a podcast. Don't have it all figured out yet, but we will be looking and listening because, you know, always looking for people's perspectives that, that are helpful. And it sounds like you have a lot of those. Thank you. Yeah. All, all good stuff. And, and I'll let you know once we move forward with it and uh, it should be another exciting moment. Lots of good stuff coming up. Absolutely. And I know how much goes into getting that all set up. So um, once you do have it set up, uh, you can check the notes. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. You just shoot me a link to it and I'll make sure there's a link there so people can find you there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, it's been great to talk to you today. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me here. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Simone's story and take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can also connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. Don't forget, we have a Patreon where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always... You are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.